Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Hello, church. It is so wonderful to be with you today, especially those of you joining us online. We are so glad you're with us, and I'm excited. We've got a great message for you Um, in this series that we've been in. Have you guys been learning something in this series, Pet Peeves? We all have pet peeves. I think we get kind of the the thought pattern there, right? We all have pet peeves, except me. I I don't have any pet peeves. None of you ever get on my nerves, ever. None of you have ever gotten on my nerves, I promise. Um, But I think we get the point. We all have things that aggravate us. We all have things that get on our nerves. And so pet peeves is really, um, we're talking about the topic of what things bother God, what things are a pet peeve for God. And so today we're going to really dive into God's word. Our our central passage of this is in Proverbs chapter 6. And that's every message each and every week. That's what we're going to be focusing on through this series um, and so I'm excited to get started on it today. My, my name, just to introduce myself, my name is Olin Carter and I serve as part of our teaching team. If you're new here to Freedom House, one thing unique about our church is we are one church with many different campuses and we have a live communicator each and every week at each and every campus. And so that's just something special about our church and I'm honored to be a part of that. And so we're just going to dive into the Word of God today. Um, when I was thinking about this message and, and especially preaching it today with everything that's going on in the world, you know, I started to pray and should I, should I preach on something different? You know, we're in this series called Pet Peeves and I thought, you know, really we're preaching, we're teaching about sin and I thought, well, man, maybe I should preach, change the message and preach on hope or preach on healing or preach on faith or preach on something like that. And, and God just kept kind of giving me a piece about preaching the same message that I had prepared on sin, and I didn't really understand why until this morning we were here. We had a um, a strong men's event, and um, God just kind of showed me um, why He wanted me to preach on sin, and that's because you know what's more dangerous than any virus? You know what's more dangerous than any disease? You know what's more dangerous than cancer? Sin. Sin is more dangerous than anything. Sin has killed more people than any war. Sin has killed more people than drug addiction. Sin has killed more people than anything, all the other things you can think of put together. Sin has put more men, more women under the ground than anything else you can think of. We're in a time right now of fear. We're in a time right now where people are concerned about something. But you know what? The very thing we should be the most concerned about is sometimes the thing we're not concerned about. Sometimes the thing we should be the most concerned about in our life is the thing we overlook altogether. And so I believe that God wanted me to speak on this today. So we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 16 through 19. And it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. You know what? Sin is a big deal to God. 
Sin is a big deal to God. Sometimes we trivialize sin. We treat sin like it's something that's not a big deal, but sin is a very big deal to God. Each and every um, weekend during this uh, message series, we're going to hear people talk about the different aspects of sin that are represented in these verses. We're going to hear people talk about pride. We're going to hear people talk about all these different things and break it down, a false witness, a lying tongue, a proud look, all of these things. But what I want to focus on today... What I want to focus on is the first verse. The first verse that says there are six things that the Lord kind of gets annoyed with. Is that what it says? Six things that bother God just a little bit. Get on his nerves just a little bit. Six things that are, you know, a minor annoyance to God. Is that what it says? No. No, it says six things that the Lord hates. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him, it sounds like to me that sin is kind of a big deal. Amen. It sounds like to me that God takes sin seriously, but in our modern Christian culture today, I think we view sin in two classes. I think we view sin in two different ways. I think one, we have some sins that are respectable sins. We have some sins that are tolerable, they're respectable. Some sins that we tolerate, heck, we even we maybe even celebrate them. We have sins in our house that, hey, my sin is no big deal. We have respectable sins. But number two, we have shameful sins. We have shameful sins. We have those sins that we really get worked up about. We have those sins, and they're usually other people's sins. Usually the sins that bother me are the sins of someone else. Those are usually the shameful sins. But the Bible teaches us that God hates sin. He detests it. It is a big deal to God. But our culture sees some sins as acceptable or tolerable. Sin is normalized, and we begin to accept certain sins as just being human. Well, that's just part of my personality. That's just how I was wired. You don't know how I came up. That's how I always have been. That's just how God made me to be. Some sins we teach or we accept as just being human. As Christians, we pick certain sins to really stand against. Sins like homosexuality. We don't like that one. Abortion, pornography, fornication. Those sins are really, really bad. These sins are shameful, and they've got to be preached against. And people who practice those sins have got to be treated differently. Because we've got to make sure that those people know that they're they're sinning. Hey, you're in trouble. You're doing something really bad. Now, people could look at us and say, well, you've got sin too. Yeah, but my sins, my sins aren't a big deal. My sins are little sins. We we would be better if we focus on the big sins that you have trouble with because your sins really, really matter. See, other sins like lying, like being judgmental, like pride, like gossip, like stirring up strife, these sins are deemed as respectable sins, normal sins that we tolerate. Now, we might say that we know those things are sins, We might say that we know that. We understand. If you ask any Christian, is pride a sin? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a sin. Gossip is a sin. We would say that we know that, but culture is not what you say. It's what you do. It's how you behave. I'm reading a book right now that talks about influence and how human behavior is influenced. You know what the number one thing that influences human behavior is? It's social influence. If you have peer pressure, you can influence someone to do almost anything. 
they did this test up in Connecticut where doctors took people off the street. They ran this, this ad. They got people to come into the room, and they had two people. They had one person behind the glass, and then they had one person on the other side, and they had the person turn up the shock treatment on the person behind the glass. Except the person that was behind the glass was in on it, that it was really a trick. There was no electricity. The doctor would tell them, turn it up a little bit, and they would turn it up and shock the person, and the person would scream, ah! And they would say, oh, oh, I think I'm hurting them. I'm, I, think, I think I'm hurting them. I, 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 maybe I should stop. And the doctor would say, no, no, the experiment requires that you continue. And so they would continue to turn up the voltage until they thought they killed the person. Because the doctor let them know that it was acceptable behavior. Anything that our society or our culture or the people around us, our culture tells us is acceptable, we will do it. That is the number one influence of behavior. And we wonder why people can't stop, people can't get victory over sin. It's because we have a culture that celebrates sin. As long as our culture celebrates sin, people can't get victory over it. People are going to behave in that way because sin is normal. Sin is okay. Sin is normalized. Sin is, is a minimal thing. And so as long as our culture says that, that's how people are going to behave. Listen, culture is not what you say. It's what you celebrate. Culture is not what you say. It's what you do. And so what is Christian culture? Christian culture is not what the preacher preaches it's how Christians live. It's what we do when we leave the church. It's how we behave as Christians in our society. Those are the things that's going to tell what our culture really is. I think Christian culture has communicated to the world that we love sin and hate sinners. I think sometimes inadvertently that's what we've told the world is that we love sin but we hate the sinner. Why? Because the sin in our house is no big deal. We celebrate, we, we tolerate the sin in our own house in the church but the sin in your house, whoa, that one's really bad. I want to give you an example from my own life. We all have sins that to us are a big deal. We all have sins that, to us, it's a bigger sin than other sins. For me, it's stealing. I can't stand when someone steals. I have no mercy, no compassion. If someone steals something, I think they should just, just hang them. Just, I'm, I'm done. I mean, just no mercy at all. I'm sorry. I just get angry, man. When someone sins, I am furious about it. I just, and, and to me, that's like one of the worst things because of something that happened in my life. Once, I had my car stolen. And so ever since I had my car stolen, to me, stealing is really, really bad. I want to tell you this story. I was at my, my old church, and I worked there during the day, and then I, I had a second job at night. And um, before I was going to leave, I went down to the church, and I parked out front. I ran inside to tell the pastors and leaders, hey, I'm going to work. I'll see you tomorrow, whatever. And I was inside for just a couple minutes. I come back out, and my car is gone. Now, I'm thinking... I, you know, nobody stole my, I'm not, it didn't even occur to me that someone had stole my car. I, I mean, it didn't even occur to my mind that someone had stolen my car. I was just like, well, hey, what's going on? You know, and I'm looking around, you know, where, where's my car at? And all of a sudden it hit me, my buddy Todd, he is a practical joker. And I thought, you know what, that sucker, he took my car and he's hidden it from me. And so I ran across the street to the youth facility 
And Todd was over there working. I bust in the door and I'm like, Todd, man, where's my, where's my car, man? Quit, quit kidding around. And he looked at me and he was like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, come on, man. And after a couple minutes of going back and forth with Todd, Todd was good, but he wasn't that good. All of a sudden, I, I kind of got the picture. He's not kidding. And I thought, what is going on? And all of a sudden, it, it dawned on me, someone has stolen my car. So I run back over to the church. I call the police. And I'm on the phone with the police. And let me tell you, this car, it was nice. This was an 86 Buick Regal. And, and there were significant portions that weren't covered in rust. This was a nice car. So they've stolen my car. I call the police and I'm like, hey, someone has stolen my car. I need you to come and do the whole CSI thing. I want fingerprints. I want, I want helicopters. I mean, I, I want the whole deal. I need you to come out. I need some law and order. Come on. I need, I need forensics. I need, I, let's take this seriously. And you can probably guess what the 911 operator had to tell me. They said, uh, yes, sir, we'll get somebody out there in a few hours. A few hours? This is my car we're talking about. And so, filled with anger, I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll catch them myself. And I hung the phone up. And so, I got my associate pastor, I got his pickup truck, and I said, hey, can I borrow your pickup truck? I need to go to work. And he said, sure. And I grabbed a Louisville Slugger baseball bat, and I threw it in the back of the truck, and I went on the search. I was going to find it myself. Well, guess what? I did. So I'm going down this street, and all of a sudden, out of the side of my eye, remember, 86 Buick Regal. I knew my car. I mean, this was a work of art. I see the taillights out of the side of my eye, and I just slam on the brakes, put it in reverse, go back, and sure enough, that's my car going down the side street. So I pull in after them, and I get in a high-speed chase with these guys that have stolen my car. We're going 100 miles an hour through this neighborhood. We're running over mailboxes. I mean, you know, mud flying everywhere. We're chasing, I'm chasing them down. Well, all of a sudden they come to this house and they drive up into the yard doing donuts in this guy's yard. I pull up and I think that I'm going to cut them off and block them. So I pull up and I go sideways and I block the driveway so that I think they can't get out because there was kind of a drop off in his yard. And there's these shrubs and trees and stuff in the back. And I think, I got them. I got them. They can't get away. They can't drive through the truck. There's nowhere to go. I got them. So they pull the car around where they, they roll the window down. And I see this little head pop out. And I must have looked like some kind of maniac. Because <laughs> the guy, when he stuck his head out, was just like his eyes were like this, looking at me. And I got out of the truck, grabbed the bat, hit the back of the truck once like that. Bam! And when the guy looked me in the eye, I just went, get out of my car, like that. And I was ready to charge him when this guy comes out of the house on his front porch with a shotgun. So he cocks the shotgun and he says, well, I can't say what he said in church, but he had some colorful things to say. But he was basically saying, what are you people doing in my yard? They start to do some donuts, fly out of the back of the, through, they literally jump these bushes. I get back in the truck, chase them, but I lose them. So I come back to this guy's house, and I'll never forget what he said to me. I get out of the car, and I'm walking up, and he's mad. He's still got his shotgun. He's, what is going on? And I said, sir, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Those guys stole my car. 
that was my car. They stole my car. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me, serious as he could be, and he said, well, why didn't you say something? I'd have shot him for you. And I thought, well, you know, you live and you learn. <laughs> so we called the police. We found my car the next day. It was terribly damaged. It was a terrible ordeal. But ever since then, man, stealing is the worst thing in the world to me. I felt so violated. I felt so angry. But you know, sometimes where I think we get a little off track with sin is sometimes when people commit a sin against us, or against someone we love. When you sin against me, when you sin against my mom, my daughter, my wife, all of a sudden that sin, I get real sensitive to it. I get real sensitive when you sin against me. And the problem with that is sometimes when we develop these sensitivities to sins of other people when they transgressed against me or someone I love, is sometimes I begin to develop a blind spot to my own sin. Because their sin is so bad, that sensitivity level is so high, I begin to develop a blind spot to the sin in my life. The second thing is sometimes when people struggle with sin, that doesn't tempt us. When someone struggles with a sin that I'm not tempted with, a sin that I don't understand, a sin that I don't have any compassion for, their sin becomes shameful because it's not normal to me. Their sin's unreasonable to me because I'm not tempted with it. And then our sin becomes normalized. My sin's normal because I can understand my sin. I know all my reasons. I know all my past. I know everything that's led me to the sins that are in my life, to the temptations that I face. But when someone else is dealing with something that I can't identify with, I can't understand, I've never been tempted with, their sin's really bad. Their sin becomes shameful. We love to compare, but we compare ourselves to the wrong standard. Yes. We compare ourselves to the wrong standard. Instead of sin being an indicator like that we're being separated, we're, we have this separation between us and God, it becomes a measurement of my self-righteousness. Because my sin's not as bad as everybody else's, or because I begin to measure my sin against yours, it becomes a measurement of my own self-righteousness. Is stealing a big deal when they stole my car? Yes! Stealing is a huge deal. Stealing is bad. I think everybody... I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there. But sin is bad. Or stealing is bad. It is a bad. It's a big deal. But when someone else's sin makes me feel a little bit better about my sin, that's wrong. That's wrong. When I look at stealing as terrible, but then I look at something that I struggle with, it's not that terrible, not that bad, not that big a deal. Now that's becoming a problem in my life. The answer, though, is not to have a small view of sin. It's not to minimize serious sins because that's where our culture's headed today. Our culture's headed in a place to where, hey, everybody sins, everybody's got issues, everybody messes up, and so let's just make sin normal. Because you have sin and I have sin, let's just make all the sin okay. That's not the answer. It's not biblical, it's not of God, that's not the answer. The answer is to have a God view of all sin. Is to have a God view of all sin, but that's not what's happening today. So why is this so important? Why is this a big deal? It's because all sin, all sin, not some sin, all sin is a big deal to God. Amen. It's a big deal to God. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I want to go through the sins that are listed in that verse and talk about why these are such a big deal to God. You see, when we sin, we are choosing to reject God's heart, His thoughts, 
His word, his works, and his grace. When we sin, we're rejecting who God is. Sin is contrary to God's heart. It says haughty eyes, a proud look. Some translations say a proud look. That's the opposite of the heart of God because God, it, Jesus came to show us God's heart. How did Jesus come? Did he come in as a king, as this mighty? No, he came in as a baby. He came in, the Bible says, as a servant. Pride overvalues me and undervalues you. That's the opposite of God because if anything, God overvalues me. God looks at us and man, he treats us with a value that sometimes I don't even understand. How God can look at me and find me this valuable? That's the opposite of pride. Sin's contrary to God's thoughts, a heart that devises wicked plans. Man, we use our imagination for evil. When you think of the world we live in, the beauty, someone told me on our staff the other day, just went, uh, Ian, he, he went to somewhere, uh, Zion National Park, and he was telling me, man, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. It was so beautiful. You know where that came from? God's imagination. That came from God's imagination. Sin is contrary to God's word. It says a lying tongue and a false witness. That's personal and public. Whether God speaks to you personally, directly to your heart, or whether God says something publicly through his word. God's word is always faithful. God never lies. Sin is contrary to God's works. It says shed innocent blood and feet running to evil. Our actions, listen to the picture of that. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. What does God do? He goes around healing people, helping people, ministering to people. And when we take advantage of others through our actions, that's the opposite of God's works. And the, the biggest thing is sin is contrary to God's grace. God's grace is his divine influence in our life. How does God use his influence, his grace for you? Man, he doesn't use it to sow discord. He doesn't use it in a negative way. But what are we like or how... Man, we reject God's grace when we use the influence he's given us to bring destruction in the lives of others. Yeah. Man, that's the opposite of God's grace. Sin is a big deal to God. I was thinking when I was preparing this message of a good illustration for sin and the, and the damage that sin causes. And it occurred to me, hey, dummy, the Bible's already done it. <laughs> and so I went to the Bible. Who'd have thought? Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't say that the wages of shameful sins are death. It doesn't say the wages of some sin are death. It doesn't say the wages of the sin that you particularly disagree with is death. It says the wages of sin is death. So every time I lie to my wife, I bring a little bit of death into my marriage. Every time I lie at work to get a little bit of an advantage, I bring a little bit of death into my finances. And this is a great image, a great picture for us today because he says that the wages of sin, listen, think about real quick how you're paid on your job. If you're paid hourly, they pay you a set amount of money for every hour you worked. Well, if you went into work this week, and they said, hey, we're going to change things up. For every hour you work, we're going to pay you one pound of death. Would you clock in? I wouldn't. 
Or I'd like to say I wouldn't, but yet, each and every week, we all clock in with the taskmaster of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And each and every week, we choose to clock in and earn a little bit of death for our life. Isn't that crazy? That illustrates for us how evil sin really, really is. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? Certainly not. I love that. I want to take a pause there just for a second because I love that all through the Apostle Paul's writings, he always has to counter this concept. Every time you see Paul talking about grace, talking about sin, Paul always has to stop and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You can't just live any way you want to. You know why he has to do that? Because if you preach grace right, that's kind of almost how people start thinking. Because God's grace is so good. God's grace is so amazing. The gospel is the too good to be true news. And when people hear the truth of the gospel, man, they start feeling so free. Man, it almost gets a little crazy. And Paul has to come back and say, yes, you're free, but hold on. You're not free to sin. You're free for righteousness. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Man, I don't want to be a slave to sin. Whether of sin leading to death, there it is again, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. That form of doctrine or teaching, doctrine just means teaching, to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Listen, sin offers nothing but death. It offers nothing but death. But sometimes we look at freedom and we only think a half of freedom because we think freedom is being free from something, but for being truly free is being free enough from something that you can be free to something. A bird is free when it flies, not just when it's out, not in a cage. And you know what? God wants you flying and sin will clip your wings. Sin will ground you. Sin will rob you of your freedom. And that's why God hates sin and that's why God wants you to live free of sin. Not because he doesn't want us to have fun, not because he wants to bring us down, but because he wants us soaring in the freedom to be who God's called us to be. That's why. Man, he knows that sin will do that in our life. Sin makes you less like God. And this is the thing I don't think we realize. It makes you less of the you that God created you to be. Man, God created you with intention and design and with purpose and with destiny. And every time you sin, you lose a little bit of who you really are. You lose a little bit of the God vision of you, the God version of you. You lose a little bit of that every single time we sin. Finally, the worst thing about sin is that it never satisfies and it is never satisfied. It will never satisfy you. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 20, it says, Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. Sin is only attractive because it promises to make you happy. Think about it. Why do you sin? Why do I sin? It's because it promises us something. It promises us in exchange. It says if you do X, you will get X back. You're going to get happiness. You're going to get fulfillment. You're going to get peace. You're going to get... But it's always a lie. Sin is always 
lying to us. It never satisfies. In fact, with every single time we indulge sin, all we do is need a little bit more. All we need is a little bit more. Sin is the slow erosion over time. Listen, no one wakes up one morning in a perfect, happy marriage and just wakes up, gets out of bed and says, I think I'm going to cheat on my spouse today. That sounds like a good plan. That doesn't happen. It's a slow erosion over time. Nobody wakes up out of bed one morning and, you know, everything's perfect in their life and they're going to church and everything's good and they're right on the track that God has them on. You know, I think I'm going to quit my job, be a drug dealer. I think that'd be a good plan for for self-advancement. Just kind of dawned on me. I think I'll do that. I think I'll just go out today and murder somebody. I think it'd be good. No, that doesn't happen, right? We get that. Sin, the problem is these respectable sins that we tolerate over time. We allow these respectable sins to take up residence in our life. We justify these respectable sins until they lead to the shameful ones. If you justify and allow these small little sins to hang out in your life long enough, they're going to bring the damaging ones your way. Remember, the thief comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. So, what's the answer? Listen, here's the good news. I didn't come to tell you bad news. I came to give you good news. There's good news. So, what's the answer? Is there an answer? Can we be free from sin? Yes, remember the gospel is good news. God has made provision for our sin. He's made an answer. He's made a provision. The problem is, as Christians, we stop using the provision. We go to the dentist, and we've got cavities, and we, we, we're shocked. Why, why do I have cavities? And the, and the dentist asks us, well, do you brush your teeth? Well, absolutely I do. I brush my teeth. Boy, it's at least eight months ago, I think I did it. Eight months ago, you've got to brush your teeth every day. Every day? I've got to brush my teeth every single day? But that's how we do as Christians. We hear the gospel, and we get it once, and we think, well, I'm good to go. I heard about the Jesus guy. I I, I accepted him into my heart, so I'm done, right? I don't need that gospel anymore. But in fact, what we need is we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day. We need to preach it to ourselves every single day. Sometimes as Christians, man, we begin to view the gospel as that thing we preach to sinners. I don't need that anymore. And that's not the answer. It says in 1 John 1, verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, the only sin that can be defeated... It's forgiven sin. Until you have a revelation that your sin is totally and completely forgiven, you will never walk in freedom from it. You will never get victory over any sin in your life until you get a revelation that that sin is forgiven. That sin is forgiven. We have to have an understanding of that, and the way we get it is we preach that gospel to ourselves every single day. We recite scriptures that reinforce what Jesus did for me. Because Satan is going to come and Satan is going to tell you that you're not really forgiven. You're not really forgiven. Jesus hadn't forgiven you of all the things that you've done, of all the sins that you've had in your life. 
You think you're forgiven? You're not really forgiven. But listen, when you begin to preach the gospel to yourself every single day, when you wake up every morning and you read the word of God that reinforces that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus paid the price, not part of the price, not a little bit of the price, not part of the price, but all the price, totally forgiven, washed by the blood of the Lamb, sins as far as the east is from the west, He'll remember them no more. When you begin to preach that gospel to yourself every single day, When Satan comes to you and says, you're not forgiven, you can say, hey, I'm not forgiven because I feel forgiven. I'm forgiven because he says I'm forgiven. The word says I'm forgiven. He'll say, but you're only forgiven if you believe. And you can say, you know what? Well, maybe I didn't believe, but I do now. Because I'm preaching the gospel to myself. We need to be Billy Graham in our own life. You need to be Billy Graham for yourself. You need to preach the gospel to yourself Every single day. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing. 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 Hearing the word of God. That's how faith will come alive in us. The second thing we need to do is we need to stop believing that we have to sin. Now this one can be controversial sometimes. But the Bible teaches we've been set free from sin. Now does that mean we're going to live perfect? That we're never going to mess up again? No. If you're a human being, you're going to mess up. Sometimes you're going to... We just read, if if we say we have no sin, we're lying. But the good news is, hey, God's there. He's ready to forgive us. But, but, we go around telling everybody that we just sin all the time. That's our Christian talk. Well, I probably sinned a hundred times today by lunch. People tell me that all the time. Well, I probably sinned 200 times. You know, we just sin all the time. Christians, I just live inside, just sin all the time. We all sin all the time. Listen, stop it. You don't have to sin all the time. You've been set free from the power of sin. You do not have to live in sin. Now that don't mean you're going to live perfectly, but every day you walk with Jesus, there should be less and less and less and less and less and less and less. We should be walking closer to God. You don't have to walk around in sin all the time. Stop telling yourself you have to sin. You don't have to sin. It's a choice. When Satan comes and tempts us, we're never going to have a hope of victory if we're walking around telling everybody all day, all, all the time, that we have to sin. I'm such a sinner. I just sin a thousand times a day. If you sin that much, you got a problem. I mean, you need, treat, you need therapy or something. I sin. I don't sin a hundred times before lunch. I don't even know how you could sin that much. I mean, you, I mean, I don't even understand it. But we've been trained, it's this false humility to beat myself down. Oh, woe is me, we're all sinners. I'm just gonna, I'm just, woe is me. And we think that makes us sound humble. Listen, we all know we mess up. I don't need somebody to tell me I've got sin in my life, that I've done things wrong. I know that, but Jesus paid the price. I've been set free. And you know what? Tomorrow, I'm going to try my best not to sin. And I can have victory over sin in my life because Jesus is just that good. The last thing is we have to find satisfaction in God. You can look at me and tell there's been on occasion a time or two I've overeaten. (laughs) Not, Not a lot, but I do slip up now and again. I try to steer clear of buffets. I'm getting better, praise God. I'm I'm getting closer to Jesus every day. I'm getting better. But I've overeaten before, you know. There's forgiveness. Praise God, there's forgiveness. But you know what? I don't overeat when I'm satisfied. 
I don't go out and pig out and overeat and do all this stuff when I'm full. The problem is sometimes sin is so alluring to us because we're empty. If you would go to God and get your emotional and spiritual needs met, when Satan brings out this attractive sin on this platter before you, you know what you would say? Sorry, but I'm stuffed. I just spent all morning with Jesus and I'm full. I don't need that anymore because I'm full. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of what? Enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. It doesn't last. It doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking ahead to his great reward. Man, there's a great reward in God. When we go to God, when we go to him to be satisfied, man, there's a great reward. God loves us. God will fill you up so that the things that used to tempt you, the things that would destroy you, the things that would, that would allure you away and try to pull you away from him aren't even attractive anymore because you're so full of the Holy Spirit, of the joy that only God can bring. I'd like to ask all of you to stand with me. And if you're joining us online, I'd like to ask you to, to uh, close your eyes just for a moment. We'll do something a little different. And I want to read you a short story that I think really illustrates this point really, really well. And the, pro the story is called The Problem with Samson. It says, My daughter Hannah and I had a great Dane named Samson that we dearly loved. And Samson, as it turns out, was well named for he was big and strong and muscular and like his namesake from the Bible, he also had a penchant for wandering. We built fences, we tried chains and dog runs, we tried everything to keep Samson at home, but he'd dig under the fence or climb over it and it drove us crazy. So we bought the best-selling book on the market on the subject of training dogs. It was called No Bad Dogs. It was written by the famous British dog trainer, Barbara Woodhouse. She actually raises Great Danes herself. And one night when I went upstairs to tuck Hannah into bed, she had the saddest expression on her face. She said, Dad, I think I know what the real problem with Samson is. And she said, can I read you something from the book? This is what she read. In a dog's mind, a master or mistress to love, honor, and obey is an absolute necessity. The love is dormant in the dog until brought into full bloom by an understanding owner. Thousands of dogs appear to love their owners. They welcome them home with enthusiastic wagging tails and jumping up and down. They follow them about their houses happily. And to the normal person seeing the dog, the affection is true and deep. But to the experienced dog trainer, this outward show is not enough. The true test of real love takes place when the dog has got the opportunity to go out on its own. And as soon as the door is left open by mistake and it goes off and often doesn't return home for hours, that dog only loves the comfort of home and the attention it gets from its family. 
It doesn't truly love the master or mistress as they fondly think. True love in dogs is apparent when a door is left open and the dog still stays happily within earshot of its owner. For the owner must be the be-all and end-all in a dog's life. You see, the real, real test of our Christianity, the real test of our love for God, it's not seen in our work, it's not seen in our busyness, it's not seen in how often we attend church or even how well we know the Bible, it's found in this. When we have an opportunity to wander away, to disobey, to leave His presence, do we choose instead to stay close to Him, to abide in Christ, to obey? Now, if you're someone that has wandered away, I want to tell you that we all have. The good news is that we have a master that loves us so much that the door is always open. He's always welcoming us home. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, no matter what sins we've committed, God's love is so big and God wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. Maybe some of us today have never experienced that love before. Maybe someone watching online right now, maybe you've never experienced that kind of love, that that door's always open no matter what you've done. People have held it against you. Maybe you've not been able to forgive yourself, but we have a God that will forgive you totally and completely of anything and everything. And if that's you and you would like to experience that love right now, I want to give you an opportunity for those of you that have been following Jesus, maybe you've known the master's love, but you've, you've wandered away. And you think, does he still love me? The answer is yes. I want to lead you in a prayer as well. In fact, I'd like all of us to pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Say, Father God, I believe in you. I believe in your love. It's powerful. I know you love me. And I want to love you. I want to love you fully. So I stop wandering. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me of my sin. And I ask you to give me victory over the sin in my life. The things that have been a struggle. I know you have the power to overcome. I put my faith in you. And I ask you to fill me up right now. So full with your Holy Spirit, I'll no longer desire those other things. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for restoring me. In Jesus' name, amen.